The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode number 389, and I'm here uh, once again with uh, Sam Alberry. Sam, how's it going? It's going well. It's good to be with you again. Good to be with you, too. And, and thanks for joining us from across the pond. I know you've got a lot going on with a potential move and, and all of that. So appreciate you taking the time. Uh, my pleasure. Um, I, I did want to ask you if uh, our listeners, those who've tuned in the last couple of weeks, we've started a, a new segment called a resource roundup. And I wanted to hear from you, Sam, of a resource that's been helpful for you in ministry, something the Lord is, is currently using to bless you. Yes, I'm not alone in being blessed by this particular book. Um, Biblical Critical Theory by Christopher Watkin um, came out a couple of months ago. Um, the title doesn't quite get to what it's doing because it, it's going through every major sort of moment in the Bible's narrative and showing how it engages with, critiques, redirects some of our secular narratives. And it's um, it's so good. It is so, so good be great for those in youth ministry to to be using it yeah and i know i want to say i might have seen tim challies pointed out or the gospel coalition it's, i can't remember who pointed that but you said biblical critical theory and remind me the author christopher watkin okay christopher watkin okay um i'll have to to check that one out um, also, uh, a resource that isn't necessarily related to ministry, and I kind of use resource loosely there, um, but what's but, but something that's been an encouragement for you lately? Um, going for a walk every day hmm. for about 45 minutes to an hour, um, headspace, a bit of exercise, fresh air, chance just to slow down, gather my thoughts. Get ready for the day. I tend to do it in the mornings first thing. Um, it's been good for my mental health. It's just been good around the around the you know on every front. So highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will second that. It, it's something maybe in the last couple of years I've grown to appreciate. I, I used to uh, I think loathe walking um, because I felt like okay. I wanted to get somewhere, get from point A to point B, and uh, it just wasn't fast enough. But um, I've grown to to really enjoy being outside and just walking and, and slowing down. And I think it was um, actually, you know, you and I just saw each other at RYM's Youth Theater Training, and Kelly Capic was also there. And I want to say in his book, You're Only Human, um, he talked about just the importance of walking. Um, so that's, yeah, that's excellent. Um, yeah, that's a, a great resource and, and it's free. Yes, <laughs> it's it's free. And as you know, I'm getting older. I'll speak for myself. It's easier on the knees uh, than than running. Yeah. And <laughs> um, you're going slow enough to notice things as well. I noticed mm-hmm. the different species of trees I'm walking past, the different types of birds that are, are in the neighborhood. Um, you see some of the details of of nature. 
Hmm, absolutely. And, and what you just said, I mean, makes me think of Matthew 6 and Jesus's encouragement uh, when dealing with anxiety. Uh, notice the birds, notice, the, notice nature, notice God's book of creation. Um, what a gift that is. Well, that's an awesome resource to pass along to people. Uh, those out there who are walkers are probably nodding to this. Those who aren't walkers, hey, g- give, it, give it a try. Um, next up, Chandler will be joining me, and then I'll have a conversation later um, with Helen and Steve. Uh, but for now, here's Chandler. Hey, everybody. I'm back once again with Chandler. Uh, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, social media and ministry. Um, we're going to wrap it up this week. Uh, like I said, uh, next week we'll have some other guests on to talk about this topic, but Chandler and I are going to be wrapping it up. And last week we were, we were talking about some of the uh, purposes and pitfalls, and I thought, Chandler, it'd be helpful for us uh, since we talked about some of the pitfalls of maybe uh, giving some boundaries that could be helpful, um, as well as, you know, uh, if we're going to be encouraging people to consider not utilizing social media as much, then what are some other avenues we could point people to some other ideas that might be helpful? Um, but maybe first off, let's, let's just go with the the boundaries. Um, anything you can think of, I mean, from your own life, uh, but just advice you'd, you'd give to people of, okay, if you are going to use, um, social media ministry, here's some boundaries that are going to be helpful. Uh, any, any thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that to put it as broadly as I can, probably the, <clears throat> the nudge that I want to give to any, uh, youth worker who's using social media is be as self-critical as you can in a healthy way. We don't want to be like self-abasing about this stuff, mm-hmm. but I'd say we need to be outpacing students in thinking critically about social media and social media's potential downfalls and positive uses, right? So we, and I think we should be outpacing in both categories. So thinking really critically about the potential uh, negative side effects of using social media and, and being creative about those things. Go, oh my goodness, all right, in five years, 10 years, what am I going to wish that I had done or not done when it comes to social media and the ways that I'd communicated or not communicated, the picture I'd posted or hadn't posted or what that caption sounds like, you know, when we talk about things like not aging well and stuff like that. I think we bear a responsibility to sort of think deeply about those things. And then also positively, I think we should be uh, as creative as, as we can be about, okay, if we're going to use this stuff, we are going to be like high octane with our social media use. And it's going to be, it's going to be spectacular and, um, and it's going to be useful. And, and I'm, I hope that if we're using social media, we're going to be willing to really connect the dots between the grand vision of, frankly, Jesus's vision of the kingdom and seeing people brought into the kingdom, flourish in the kingdom and connect the dots between Jesus's vision for the kingdom and our use of social media. And that's not impossible to do. And we've been hopefully uh, willing to say each week now that, hey, we're not prescribing that you should never use this stuff. We are talking about our personal choices and choices for our ministries and things like that. But we're going to use social media. I think that would be sort of the broadest boundary I could I could give is hey let's let's make sure that everything we do is connected to Jesus's vision of the kingdom. Yeah. No, I think that's good and and here's the the generic one I'll give but kind of um expand on a little bit. It's just being cautious of the amount of time that you're you're giving to it. And I know that's nothing new when we talk about setting up boundaries from so, for social media, but I'm thinking specifically to reference Chris Martin once again. 
I think he shares this in his book, but on his uh, website as well. He he was a social media manager for you know a Christian organization, and he talked about just how addictive it was in his own life. But then it was also his job as well in his career, and it was so hard to unplug and step back that he is encouraging as he consults for other ministries on this of you have to have boundaries in place from just unplugging because it is very unhealthy for your your mental health, which again, that's nothing new for anyone. But if you are utilizing this in your ministry, it's going to blur the lines of what's work and what's just kind of fun and play into. So trying to step back from that is important. Um, Something else too is being cautious of the platforms that you invest time in. Um, uh, There's already predictions that TikTok is going to be banned in the United States and this year. Um, People are are saying that it's already banned on many university campuses. If you're unaware, um, it is. And uh, many states are looking at legislature to, to try to ban this. So if you're spending so much time on that one platform, it could be gone next year. So just kind of a caution there. Um, I did also want to say too, um, I, I do think as, uh, Chandler and I are being cautious of prescribing anything. I do want to be more explicit on, I think abstaining from social media needs to be more of an option for people that we as Christians need to assert that it's okay to totally delete everything, to get off of everything and have your ministry off of it. And that's something that has not been, Um, I don't think as explicitly communicated. I know um, Sarah Zalstra, who came on this podcast several episodes ago, who works for the Gospel Coalition, she said something similar to that. I I just think that's something the church needs to trumpet more, and we need to even communicate to our students that that's an okay option. And that gets into some some kind of individual strengths and weaknesses that we can unpack more in a minute. But Chris, do you want to read? Chris, uh, you're not Chris Martin. Chandler, do you want to react to that a little bit? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's so good. And, um, I, you know, I'll just say anecdotally, in your breakout session class thing at RYM that was uh, now a few weeks ago, I, I, I almost sensed that freedom, uh, like moving about the room while you talked about social media. That At the beginning, we were talking about sort of like, what are the you know positive social media? And a lot of people are throwing out lots of things. Here's why we do social media. Here's how we use it. Here's how we use it. And by the end... Uh, even after just 45 minutes, I felt like a lot of folks were saying, you know, almost like out loud processing, maybe I don't have to be on social media. <laughs> and there was a sense of relief, I think, for a lot of those people, which is uh, which is a beautiful thing. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll say just about my personal story. One of the things, and I, I was not thinking this way a few years ago when I got off social media, but when I sort of looked back and go, okay, what really led to me not being on social media anymore? I mean, if I think about sort of my ideal life. And I just, I love thinking about the future and the future is always rainbows and butterflies for me. So, you know, it's, it's sort of problematic, but uh, when I think about like, all right, what do I want in my life? I want to love my wife. I want to play with my kids. I want uh, to enjoy like great meals with friends. I want, uh, I want a couple hobbies. I want to be healthy. I want to shepherd the flock that God's given me. Uh, I want to share Jesus with my neighbors. I mean, I could say more, but that's a life right there. And when I start to ask, okay, for me, does social media help me do any of those things? Or does it make any of those things more challenging? And uh, that, that for me is a pretty clarifying question, just for my, my, you know, my personal decision. So I'd say in a ministry, you can sort of think about 
uh, your ministry the same way. I go, what, what do we really want in our ministry? Is social media helping us do that? And maybe it is, but maybe it's not. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. No, I, I think that's helpful. And, and something we're, we're kind of dipping into a little bit, and this is something that was discussed in the class is, you know, the, the reason why we have to be cautious of prescribing this is because every individual is different. And so those of you who are listening to this right now, think about your own personal strengths, your own personal struggles, uh, the gifts that the Lord has given you, the, the sins that you are, are tempted to, and really wrestle with us. Um, as we talked about in the class and somebody brought up, um, it seemed like there was someone who was kind of artistic bent or maybe even graphic design, and they were able to use social media to also foster a gift that God has given them. And so if that is you out there, awesome. Utilize that gift that God's given you through social media. But is it also pulling away or distracting you from gifts? Um, there was a Gospel Coalition article several weeks ago that I referenced where a pastor was talking about that he was preaching to his Twitter feed, that he realized more and more his teaching was being shaped by what he was just scrolling through on Twitter, and it wasn't even connecting to his congregation. And so how is social media distracting from your gifts? But then also thinking about weaknesses. I mean, if pornography is a struggle, um, Chandler, you mentioned the, the, the for you kind of search section of Instagram. I mean, that is filled with pornography and lustful images. And so we've got to be super cautious and diligent to, to um, fight against that. But thinking of other weaknesses in your own life, um, depression, anxiety, things like that, um, and just getting the individual to kind of wrestle with that and realize maybe this is something you shouldn't be a part of. And it'll be a freeing thing for you. And so that's <clears throat> kind of, I mean, the, the crux of this conversation is, you know, trying to foster discernment, but also relieve pressure from people who might feel that kind of tug to be in this more. And they might have some personal conviction that that's not allowing them. And they're kind of wrestling with that. So um, I know we've got maybe five more minutes left, Chandler. Jump in on any of this, add to any other kind of closing comments as we're starting to wrap this up. Yeah, I would just say, um, you know, it can feel like, okay, if I, if I do sort of take the plunge and no longer use social media, what's that going to mean for my ministry? You know, um, what, what do I do with either that time that I spent or that sense of connection that I did feel with students or that access I felt to students and what's going on in their lives? You know, how, like how much is that going to negatively affect my ministry? And I would just say two things. First, keep do more of what you're already doing that's not social media. I mean, I I, um, I feel this every time I'm, I'm around other youth workers. But I, I'm just uh, I'm just so honored by them. I'm so proud of them. I, I just they they amaze me at the the choices that they make, the 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 love that they have for students, the things that they're willing to do, the way they're willing to spend their time and energy to love students. And um, I think that they typically youth workers have such great instincts on how to love students, how to connect with students. And I would just say, do more of the things you're already doing. So showing up in their lives, pouring into the volunteers who pour into them. You can, uh, you know, sit one-on-one -on -one with a kid at a coffee shop or a group of kids at, at, you know, lunch or something like that. I mean, those are, those are beautiful, impactful things. You can write letters. Uh, this, this sort of like real connection that's possible is a really beautiful thing. And so if it's like, okay, I can't do social media, it's like, all right, well, I'm going to turn the volume up on this face-to-face -face connection that I'm able to have with students because I've, I've got a little bit more time now because I'm not, uh, I'm not using social media. The other thing I'd say is that 
if I know one of the things that I feared was sort of, all right, how am I going to be in the know, sort of the way that students talk or the things that they're into if I'm not on social media? And I would just say this again, personal, but sort of anecdotal. It's like, I think I, I tended to overvalue that. And, um, you know, it's like I've heard, I've heard, uh, maybe it was you, John, talk about uh, that. Is it a J.C. Rao book, Thoughts for Young Men? Hmm. It's like yeah. a hundred year old book and teenagers yeah. will go through it and just be like, this stuff is awesome. It's like he, yeah. he doesn't know what TikTok is. You know, he doesn't know what the Internet <laughs> is. He doesn't know what a, what a phone is, you know. And um, so the good news is always relevant. And uh, I think we can sort of overvalue like using that one cultural reference. Of course, we want to uh, we want to be like culturally engaged and talking the way students talk and thinking the way students think and things like that. But I think we can sort of overvalue like if I don't have every single trend, every single word down, um, then I'm not going to be relevant and the gospel is not going to be relevant. And that's we're just we're, we're not really in danger of that. I don't think so. Bring that same intentionality and, you know, read the paper, read a book. That, that stuff is all in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good advice. And something, too, just to kind of piggyback on what you just said, um, your fear of not being in the know. Um, I remember the freedom of not being in the know. Um, it, it is, I mean, we, we've talked about, you know, social media is kind of, or the internet just in, in general, it's this omniscient thing. It's all knowing. And so much information is, it's too much for that for us. Like we weren't created to be this connected and to know, you know, 24 seven live updates of our students and to be disconnected from that is a freeing thing. Um, because there is so much going on out there and there's so much hurt and there's so much. And so to just be unplugged from that is, is actually a freeing thing. And I think it's actually us becoming more human, um, and embracing the limitations that God has given us, um, on who we are and who he's made us to be. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's just something we need to kind of em- embrace more and, and be okay with not knowing everything. Um, maybe just as we wrap up too, um, give some more advice on, okay, those youth leaders out there listening. Okay, Chandler and John, you're saying to be off of social media. Give us some other ideas of how we can, you know, be where our students are or whatever. And I liked how you said kind of turn up relational things. I also think just as we talk about communication, um, think of a lot of different avenues to communicate from the old church bulletin to the church newsletter that if you're utilizing just one social media platform, you're also um, probably bumping up against some families who might not want their children to be on those social media platforms. And so just kind of considering that, but Chandler, speak into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to that relational connection piece, I love talking to our volunteers about this. I've, I've, and I've said before on here that we have amazing volunteers at Downtown Press. I'm so thankful for all of them. And I love getting to tell them, okay, it can feel like I've got to be the coolest person in the world to this teenager. And I cannot allow any awkwardness in our conversations. I have to be at every single thing that they ever do. You know, if they even like mention offhandedly, they've got like a, a small dance nonverbal role in the school play. I've got to be there, you know, for all three shows. Whatever. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful heart. But I love telling our volunteers, all right, developing a relation, a meaningful and impactful relationship with students is like compound investing. Uh, it doesn't take a ton of investment. It just takes time uh, to see real growth, to see real impact. And so like, I like to think about, okay, we do, I don't know, we have youth group maybe 30 times a year, something like that, maybe a little bit less, but probably 30-ish events where volunteers would be around students. 
And I love telling them, okay, if you showed up when a kid is in sixth grade and you just come all 30 times, or maybe you come 26 times because you, I don't know, you're, you're busy out of town those, those few weekends, and you just show up every week and you remember a kid's name, you ask him how his week was, you have you wade through the awkward conversation with them. By the time they're a senior in high school, uh, you're going to be like their best friend. You'll probably be in their wedding, you know, <laughs> after they after they go to college. And, they, and, and after four years of college, they won't forget you. They'll love you. You'll be like, you know, a mentor and a leader in their life. So I think uh, that's a beautiful thing too. And it's actually, is helpful to to keep volunteers and youth workers from burning out to go, Hey, I'm going to make this slow, steady investment in these students' lives. And, um, and I'm going to be patient with it. Relationships require patience. They can be slow and that's okay. Yeah. No, that, that's good advice. And again, just emphasizing relationships, um, actually being physically present. And again, this is, something that, that can be accomplished through social media to a lesser degree because it's not, you know, real incarnational ministry, um, but at the same time kind of push pushing social media to the side and being physically present with students. Um, Chandler, um, I feel like we've gotten to cover a lot of ground, but there's obviously so much more to talk about and so much we're not even scratching the surface on. Um, but look, it's been good to have you on the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to come on and to participate in this discussion. And thank you, John. It's been awesome. All right. I'm here with Helen Thorne and Steve Midgley. Um, how's it going? Lovely to be here. It's good. Great to be with you, John. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. We're going to be talking about uh, a new book that actually, I think at the time of this recording, has not yet released, um, but it's entitled Mental Health in Your Church, A Handbook for Biblical Care, and it's through the Good Book Company. And uh, I look forward to, to digging into that, but I thought before we, we jump into that, um, how about just a little bio on, on the two of you? Helen, I know you've been on the podcast before. It's, it's good to have you back. Um, but just, yeah, tell our listeners where you are and, and some of the work that you're doing. Yeah, I'm Helen. I'm based in southwest London, uh, a little bit south of Wimbledon Tennis, uh, if you ever watch that. Uh, I'm there. I, I currently live alone, but I've just got engaged to a, a lovely guy called Nick. And I work for Biblical Counselling UK as their Director of Training and Resources. Great. And congrats. I did not know you had gotten engaged. So congrats on that. Thank you. Just three weeks ago. All right. Um, and do you have the date set for the wedding? Oh, no, we have nothing set. We're so confused, okay. <laughs> but we're happy. Yes, that's great. And also, you have a potential co-host with you, Moo the cat. Isn't that correct? Yes, I do apologize. If you hear a, a low rumble at any point, that is not John's recording going wrong. That is my cat purring. I, I could lock her outside, but then she'd just cry and that's even worse. <laughs> yes, and, and and Helen warned me pre-recording that, that Moo knocked over her microphone and pulled out her headphones. So if that happens, it'll just add some excitement to the podcast. So excited about that. Um, Steve, I'd love for you to tell us uh, as well where you're joining us and, and some of the work that you do. Uh, uh, yeah, Steve uh, Midgley, based in Cambridge, um, about 50 miles north of London. Um, and we have lived here for some 20 odd years. Um, I've been a pastor in a church um, in the city centre for, um, for, for most of that time. But I've recently stepped away from that um, in order to, to take up a role pretty much full time with um, Biblical Counselling UK. Um, so Helen and I work for the same 
uh, same organization now, um, but I still do a little bit um, of preaching and, and pastoral work with, uh, with the church where I've been working. Great. And, and can you both tell us just a little bit more about the, the biblical counseling in the UK? Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit, uh, the background, how long it's been around, all of that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting history um, in as much as that, you know, I, I guess uh, Christians in, in the States, uh, many will be very familiar with, with biblical counselling as a, as a concept and, and the movement. And um, in the UK, that's just not the case at all. Um, whereas um, there's been a, a presence of a biblical counselling ministry to, uh, what, 50, 50 plus years um, uh, in the US, we've had next to no exposure um, to to resources or to training. Um, and apart from you know little moments when sometimes there was a little flare of interest, but um, really nothing of any of any sort of significance um, until the last I don't know five to ten years, um, where um, for all sorts of reasons, I think. Um, an interest has grown, and Biblical Counselling UK has sort of has sort of grown out of that. Um, That's great. That's encouraging. Encouraging to hear. Um, well, well, look as we we jump into your book, and I guess really before we, we jump into the book, I, I'm curious how it is having a co-author to to write a, a, a book. Um, just could you tell us a little bit about that process? How does that go about? Does does one of you write one chapter, one of you write another, then you both check each other's? Helen, you want to talk to us a little bit about the process? Writing a book together is a, a wonderful experience. Um, a, a lot of the initial ideas came out together, um, Steve possibly took the lead, but then he is my boss. So that's only right and proper. Um, but the actual outline came together. And then we we did basically divide uh, the chapters up and, and write, you know, uh, Steve largely wrote the section on sort of an understanding of, of mental health issues, of mental illness. Um, he has a, a much more medical background than I do. Uh, but then uh, us alternating the case studies, alternating the um how how churches can be involved in supporting those with mental health struggles mm -hmm. uh, we each wrote our chapter then we send it to the other one to lovingly pull apart uh, <laughs> and then we rewrite it after a period of uh, weeping uh, in the corner uh, and hopefully the refining process uh, ends up with a book that's very helpful to lots of people yeah, no, that's that's great. I, yeah, I always find it interesting when when two people work together to produce something like this. And and again, just I, I'd love to hear um, your medical background, Steve. Uh, I, we didn't get to jump into that too much. Just yeah, to provide that for our listeners. Well, I mean, first of all, I need to comment on our co co writing styles. <laughs> um, uh, so, I mean, there there are lots of interesting things about about writing a book alongside Helen. One is that um, she produces a book. She produces a chapter in, in about five minutes, and, and I take about five weeks, um, which which creates an interesting sort of creative tension. Um, I, more seriously, I think the I think one of the interesting things is that we both we both care passionately about this issue. Um, it really matters to us, and, and both of us have have kind of been alongside people um, struggling with mental health issues and. And, and we desperately want to improve the response of churches. But we, but we come from, as Helen says, we come from slightly different kind of perspectives. Um, and my, I, I trained as a doctor and worked in psychiatry 
um, for many years before I before I, I then became a pastor. So I kind of I kind of bring that background and that perspective, um, and I think it it, it it has produced I think a really um, a really valuable kind of blend of, of views as we have come to think how do we help and encourage churches to respond well in this area. Um, so yeah, um, my it's it's a long time ago since I was working in psychiatry, but um, I think those those influences and wanting to read and think about um, mental health issues has has always been important to me ever since then. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. It does provide a, a helpful perspective for uh, the book. And um, just full disclosure at the beginning, I have not read all of it, um, but I'm in maybe. Uh, the earliest chapters five or six I think is where I got um, but it's been helpful so far just encouraging our readers reminding them uh, mental health in your church a handbook for biblical care is the the name of the book and I thought you know I typically like to begin with the title of any book and I thought you know it could be helpful to define mental health uh, but then as you both say in chapter two it's difficult to define um, mental health and so maybe we could begin there though trying to unpack why it's so difficult to try to define mental health Um, but if you both disagree and think there's a better place to start please uh, say so Uh, but Helen do do you want to start there I know or Steve (laughs) whoever I, I I'm happy to happy to dip in. I I think you're right. It is. I mean, it, it's really interesting. Is that the term mental health um, actually um, people hear that as mental illness? So you say, you know, we're going to talk about your mental health. Um, actually, usually, it it doesn't mean we're going to we're going to think really positively about what is good mental health. Usually, just that phrase actually takes people in the direction of saying, you know, what's what's gone wrong, what's difficult. So. It, it it it's a it's an interesting phrase all on its own, but the the breadth of that phrase, mental health or mental health issues or problems with mental illness, is just huge, um, and it spans so many different kind of um, situations and experiences that people have that it 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 makes it hard to. Um, it makes it hard to, to talk about until you drill down to some of the detail. And, you know, the, the case studies that Helen mentioned towards the end of the book, you know, we try to pick out both some of the kind of um, more common problems that people face, um, but also some of the, the rarer and more complex um, and severe uh, kind of mental health struggles. Um, uh, so, we you know, we... We hope we've managed to, to catch something of the breadth of, of what the term covers. Absolutely. And, and I think just the the book already just shows the complexity of this, that it is not just something very easy. Um, I mean, to diagnose even, I mean, I think unpacking that and just a little bit of just the complexity of diagnosing something is, is helpful. Um, maybe, Helen, just kind of some of the overall kind of purpose and... Um, desire to write a book like this. Just maybe tell us the origins of how this thought came about. I think many people in the local church struggle with their mental health and many people in the local church want to support people who are struggling with their mental health. But if we're honest, many of us, and I think uh, myself included in this, we sometimes struggle to know what to do. Hmm. 
there can be a sense in which uh, sometimes we're a little bit uh, too keen to assume that as a church we can do everything and just assume that the Bible is all we need and we don't need medics at all. Uh, or sometimes we can be a little too keen to assume that the medics are all we need and the church isn't necessary and therefore any care is outsourced rather than taking place inside the local church. And this book was really written to help people see that whilst the church is not the place where everything can be done, it's not the place where you're going to do a detox, it's not the place where you're going to do inpatient psychiatric care, but it is a place where you can do a lot because the Lord is the Lord of all things, uh, the Lord of all of our lives. And that means the Lord and his word has something wonderful to say about everything in the human experience. And so it's to equip normal people in normal churches to be able to do something to walk alongside people who are struggling with their mental health and to do so wisely and well with Jesus at the center. Yeah, that, that's well said. Steve, anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, um, I, I think um, absolutely echo um, the way that, that Helen's expressed that. Um, it, it is about trying to give churches um, kind of both confidence but also humility in the way that they step towards um, these kind of issues. Um, confidence, which means that they don't think, oh, I, you know, we, this is too, this is too difficult. This is, you know, that we've got to leave this to the professionals and, 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 and therefore kind of leave people struggling in this way, feeling really isolated and stigmatized. But on the other hand, um, to, to step into um, ministry in this area with, with a humility that says, describe what's happening tell me about the difficulties you're facing um and tell me what what you think might help how could the church um support you better than we are at the moment um and just just being willing to ask that question rather than i think i think the yeah, there are two dangers, which, which you know, is, is another way of saying what, what what Helen has just said. There is the danger of of just taking hands off and thinking, don't you know, don't have anything to do with this. There, and there is the other danger of thinking, I know exactly what you need, um, and and I'm going to sort of you know sort you out. Um, and both of those um, are mistakes we want to to to, to resist. Mm -hmm. Yes, and as you both just said. Uh, trying to give you know humility to the church, but then also confidence that they they can help. And um, uh, you talk a lot about just the the community that you're you're trying to help foster in in the church. And I thought you you gave a very helpful example of how in the church we can often um, ask for prayer about a, a cancer um, that, that someone's dealing with, either, you know, sharing that through an email or through a small group study and asking for prayer, but that we are reluctant to, to maybe be vocal to share for prayer about our depression or anxiety that we're struggling with, that there's this just kind of negative stigma attached to that. And j just thoughts on how the church can move in the direction of being a community that would welcome someone to, to share that kind of request. Helen or Steve, who wants to, to jump in on that? Helen. I think there's a sense in which churches can do a lot in terms of awareness raising. Just acknowledging that 
Christians do struggle with their mental health. You only have to do a, a cursory glance at the Bible to find people who are anxious or people who are despairing. Uh, it, it's not strange for people of great faith to be struggling. Uh, so actually just by raising awareness of that, whether that's through sermons or Bible studies or just having books on bookstores, uh, then it can be a wonderful thing to just say that this is normal. We don't need to be ashamed of it. This is just what it's like to live in a post-Genesis 3 fallen world where our bodies are our experiences are, are broken in so many ways hmm. but I think there's also a sense in in growing a culture um, of openness probably needs to start with us uh, and in growing a culture it's just saying is I'm willing to be broken I, I'm willing for people to know that I'm not okay sometimes there's that pressure isn't there to come into church on a Sunday morning and go hi how are you yeah I'm fine thank you um you know praise God it's been a really encouraging week and and sometimes hopefully that's true but sometimes we're just saying it uh, and inside we are absolutely crumbling and so if we can take a, a first step with safe people wisely of course we don't tell everybody everything but if we can take a little step to go you know what I'm not okay I'm feeling utterly despairing. I'm feeling so scared about the future. Can, can we pray about this together? Just being willing to take that baby step, or it might feel like quite a big step, uh, of being that open with the people around us can gradually change the culture of a church. And actually, if you have a group of people who are willing to be vulnerable with one another, uh, in a context where there is teaching that shows that this vulnerability and brokenness is normal for a church, then that is fertile ground for us to be able to act in ways and speak in ways that bring real hope and help in the middle of very difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think I'd, I'd add to, to, to that um, to say, I think when a community looks like that, it is also really attractive. I think you know we, we underestimate the extent to which um, people who people who are not involved in church, you step into a church that is that is honest in that kind of way and genuinely cares, and there is something very attractive about that, and and it's it's obvious. And by contrast, um, I think we um, we discourage and, and we sort of people's engagement with. Uh, with the Lord Jesus, when um, people detect a kind of an artificial kind of um, happiness that is, you know, that is just skin deep. Um, Definitely. And I'll just say what, what the two of you are not saying is um, churches can buy this book if they if they want to try to grow in these areas. And so, yes, I could see this as a helpful tool. I could see it as just a, a small group resource for people to use in the church to, to start trying to broach the subject and to try to deepen uh, a community of, uh, you know, in a local church that's talking more openly about this. Um, kind of along these lines is what we're talking about, you know, the church is filled with with broken people as we know and we can say that kind of in our our theology and say it from the pulpit um, and so we, we need to to see and to understand while we all love the local church and we're for the local church to acknowledge that the local church often has blind spots and so maybe help us see some of those I mean we, we've kind of touched on that a little bit with the last question but what what are some of um, the blind spots you you think that churches may have in this area uh that they they need to be kind of um yeah shown more yeah explicitly steve um i i think the i think 
one of one of the issues that that we I think we still need to make progress on is is how we connect um, our our gospel teaching our, our our convictions about who Jesus is um, with um, with this whole realm of mental health. I think I think you know we are in danger of pulling them apart and thinking you know that there is that there are spiritual issues and and then there are psychological issues and um, and ending up. Um, imagining that, that these are two very different categories. Um, and one of our blind spots, I, I think, is in that area and coming to understand that um, the Lord Jesus um, has things to say um, about all of our life. And there isn't a, there isn't a sort of, there aren't psychological problems that are, that are somehow in a different realm. Um, it doesn't mean that the answers are simple. Um, that, that, that's the other danger is that is that we just think you, know, you just pluck out a verse and, and give it to somebody and and, you know, and and somehow that provides the answer and the solution. Uh, of course, it's complicated, but we need to get better at seeing how um, the, the riches of, of Scripture and all that God has revealed to us about who He is and what He's done um, can make a difference in in our emotional and psychological um, kind of struggles. Thank you. I you know, completely agree. And I think that's partly, isn't it? Because sometimes I think we struggle to see God's activity in the present tense. Mm -hmm. I think we're very good, aren't we, at going sins forgiven. The cross of Christ means our past is gone. And we're very good at going heaven's going to be wonderful. New heavens, new earth, perfection ahead. Uh, and we talk far less about well, what God is doing right here, right now, he is living and active, he is indwelling, he is changing, transforming, providing, protecting. Uh, and actually, as a church, I, I think a whole host of those present tense conversations need to happen. And then as Steve was saying, what's uh, you know happening in our in our inner life in when our struggles fits into that present tense uh, dilemma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I'm thinking too, you know, we're having this conversation post COVID. Um, and we as believers know that that God works through the, the difficult things of life all the time. And we can say and see, hopefully, um, even though COVID was a difficult thing, we can see good that's come out of that. And it seems like maybe one of the goods we can point to is this discussion seems to be a little more open now, just mental health discussions in general. I mean, culturally, for sure. Um, is there a concern, and, and I guess, yeah, it's it's fairly obvious, but just talk about the concerns of kind of overdiagnosis maybe, of talking too much, thinking that, okay, we're all depressed when maybe we aren't depressed. Um, talk, talk a little bit about that. Is there a concern there of kind of the overdiagnosis? Um, funnily enough, I was, uh, I was doing some teaching uh, on exactly this just yesterday, um, and so... The, some of the UK statistics are kind of are stood in my head, um, and yes, there was a there was a clear um, step change um, with the arrival of COVID um, in the levels of depression. It's it's really obvious in the statistics, um, but then there are longer trends of um, rising levels of depression um, over a long period of time, and that goes hand in hand with. Um, with dramatic increases in the use of antidepressants um, in in the UK, um, and uh, though I haven't got the statistics as clearly in my head for the US, uh, I know it is the same. 
and there there is lots of discussion going on um not just you know uh, in sort of christian circles but within the mental health world um about concerns over the rising level of um of both diagnosis and um and medication um how you make sense of that um you know is is really complicated um and it would be silly to 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 imagine that there are any any simple explanations um whether there are there are social trends in terms of the way in which we're doing life um the way in which we communicate um how um social media um is changing our relationships are, are those factors probably they are at play um is um uh, is the level of um disruption in family life playing a part as well probably um there there are, there are lots of elements um is the is the, is the breakdown and failure of the church to be as um as strong a, a community and an influence over our uh, over our respective cultures probably that is at play as well so so that there there are lots of factors um at work what is clear is that the the presence of mental health struggles um in our communities is going up and certainly you know speaking of the UK the threshold that you need to reach in order to to get access to to professional care is climbing higher and higher which means more and more people are, are needing to struggle on which means that the church has got a has, has got a, a has got a real opportunity um to demonstrate care um and to, to offer people support that, that's fascinating to think of it in, in that way of just the opportunity that the the church has um and, and look you brought up um medicine and that's definitely something i i'd love for the two of you to to talk about i know you you state in the book that you're you're not opposed to medication anyway i know this is um as i was kind of saying pre-recording I did not realize uh, how volatile the whole discussion was just around counseling until I, I got into seminary and realized just the the differing perspectives on on counseling and um, and just specifically this. I mean, talking about medicine and I think it's uh, chapter yeah four um, that you unpack some of the the difficulties around this and even say it is so vast and so complex to talk about and so just kind of saying that prefacing this that you know and. A podcast that's only this amount of time. I know you cannot answer all the questions surrounding medicine, but even you, I think you gave the example of a neuropharmacology class that you were in, and and one of one of the professors said about medicine. Maybe just starting there, and then we can unpack some of the complexities a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, it's a memory from a long time ago, but it but it is burnt into my um, into my memory because um, so I was. Um, as you say, it was a neuropharmacology uh, um, course that I was taking, and the uh, the woman teaching it was at the absolute forefront of of her field. Um, but her comment ran along the lines of saying, what, "What you need to understand is that at the level of understanding we have of the functioning of um, of the brain, um, and with the sophistication of the." Um, of the psychotropic, that's the drugs that work on, on the brain. Um, but the level of sophistication we have of those drugs, it, 
it is it is like um, a car mechanic opening up the, the hood of your car um, and bashing it with a hammer. That's the level of specificity we have. And I thought from somebody who is absolutely at the forefront of her field to speak in such humble ways um, about uh, her field of excellence, um, I thought was very striking. Um, it that that doesn't mean that you know. Therefore, we we think all of all of the efforts um, uh, to to provide some sort of treatment through the use um, of um, of medication um, is therefore to be abandoned. Uh, absolutely, don't think that. Um, but it, it it does mean we just need to be realistic about what we can and can't expect um, from uh, from the use of drugs in psychiatry. Mm -hmm. It is, of course, a wonderful kindness for people if the drugs are providing a measure of relief of their symptoms. Uh, and sometimes the symptoms of struggles are so debilitating, so awful. Of course, why wouldn't we want to provide people with that little bit of relief? It is a kindness of uh, the, the activity of God in the, in the general world uh, to do that. And sometimes people do need just that little bit of relief before they can look at maybe some of the underlying issues that are there. And so whilst yeah, we want to be really humble, um, uh, as Steve said, about the, the way medication functions, when it does function and it does help, oh, praise God for that. It is uh, a wonderful gift. I think that I think that's absolutely right, and I think the problem is that, that people tend to drop into this sort of either orness um, in this area. Um, and I think um, um, Mike Emlett uh, from CCF, who's who's written really helpfully um, um, descriptions and prescriptions. Is that the name of the book? Um, I think it is. Um, he he has an analogy within that where where he says that um, sometimes um, trying to help somebody is that the water is so cloudy, it's so choppy that you, you can't you can't see to, 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 to get involved and help. And you need to do something just to calm the waters enough um, that you can then engage with somebody and, and talk with them and help them. Um, and I think that's a, just a, a nice picture um, of saying sometimes medication will do that it will produce enough enough sort of calming of what is huge turmoil um, in the way that Helen's describing in order for somebody to engage um, with prayer uh, and study of God's word um, and engage with God's people again and all the means of grace that, that we know are so precious mm -hmm. I think that's well said and just as an aside, it is uh, Descriptions and Prescriptions is the name of the book by Mike Emlett. And so, yeah, I want to point people um, to that. But but I do think it is, I mean, as you both say, and Helen, as you, you just said, uh, it's a grace from God. And, and we as, as believers need to, to see that at the same time, seeing um, the, the vast complexity of uh, some of these these medicines we, we know very little about and uh, just exercising discernment as believers. Um, so I th think you you both do well in the book of kind of walking uh, the reader through that. Um, 
I'd love for you to, 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 you mentioned that there's case studies at the end of the book. And I know kind of throughout you, you highlight various case studies and, and again, point to the complexity of, of why it can be hard to arrive at a diagnosis on, on someone. Um, I, I'd love to y'all to just talk about that structure a little bit and, and having the case studies in there, Helen, if you'd like to go. I think it was very tempting and certainly a lot of people were asking us to write a book which was just how, how do you walk alongside someone with anxiety or, or or how do you walk alongside someone with depression as if there was one kind of way of being anxious and, and one kind of way of being depressed and we were really keen not to do that we don't want to give the impression that there's a technique for walking alongside the anxious and a technique for walking alongside someone with bipolar and you just have to put it into action and so initially we, we pulled back slightly uh, from doing too much in the case study front because we didn't want to come across as simplistic but of course people do need illustrations people will be constantly asking well what does this look like in my church I, I, I need a help to kind of visualize that and, and move towards it in very practical ways and so our case studies uh, both in the main body of the book and towards the end of the book are very much individuals they I mean they're composites they're not actual people but they're they're a sense of this is what it could look like these are the some of the things you might want to consider these are some of the discussions that you'll need to be having these are some of the places in the bible that could be relevant and so we've given some tangible examples of the directions that people could go in, but hopefully not in a way where people are just going to want to copy those case studies, but in a way where those case studies are going to elicit reflection and elicit conversation and help people be creative about walking alongside the person that is actually in front of them with all their very individual and unique giftings and challenges, struggles and strengths. Yeah, I, what I would add to that is, um, I mean, I'm looking forward to people in our church reading these sort of case studies towards the end. Um, I know that uh, our church has, has got a long way to go. Um, there's lots of room for improvement in the way that we respond in this area. And what I, you know, as this came together, you know, as Helen says, there was a bit of a tussling about how do we, how do we work out how to do this? I think, I, I hope that they provide sort of, kind of, um, stimulating ideas of, of the, the sorts of things that could work, that, that then will spark off in, in, the, in the minds of the readers. Okay, now what, what's being described there wouldn't fit in our church, but we could do this and that would be, that would be equivalent for us. Um, and it will just be a kind of a, a stimulation to possibilities that might not have occurred to people about the way that you can organise uh, support the way that the Bible can speak into um, people's lives um, in in creative ways. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a difficult aspect of this whole discussion that that you both highlight in in the book, um, and that is, you know, so much of this. I mean, as we are struggling with a, a certain um, issue in our life, we. We have that knowledge of the garden, of, of how we were, and then the new heavens and the new earth and how we'll be healed, and that sometimes the healing we're longing for doesn't come in this life, um, that it's in the next life. And so maybe just walk us through that. If you, you've 
been along somebody, I mean, it could have been for chronic pain that they're just never going to be healed from it. What, what do you say um, in those circumstances? And, and again, for our listeners who might be interacting with someone who might not get better in this life, um, just, just talk a little bit about that difficulty. Well, I think the first thing is you don't start by saying anything. You start by listening. You start by understanding their experience to understanding uh, what they're going through, understanding uh, where the Lord is, uh, where they can see the Lord in the middle of their struggles. Uh, The first step is always to be understanding the person in front of you. And of course, understanding the Lord who is sovereign over that situation as well. So listening has got to be first uh, and prayer has got to be coming hot on the heels of that, because before we open our mouths to other human beings, we want to be talking to the Lord, asking for his wisdom. And sometimes, certainly in a situation of chronic pain, you know, the words aren't going to fix anything. The words aren't going to make them better, take the pain away. Uh, But actually, sometimes sitting in silence can be wonderful. I mean, just thinking back to Job's friends, I mean, they were at their best when their mouths were shut, not when their (laughs) mouths were open. Uh, And sometimes just being with somebody can be deeply profound. But of course, we do actually want to move on to uh, more than sitting and and praying and and listening. Uh, Often that can be in the form of practical help. Um, I'm, I'm very conscious that when Elijah was face down in the mud, uh, utterly despairing, actually the Lord providing him with food uh, before he provided him with um, uh, a calling to, to, to keep on going in ministry. And sometimes the provision of meals and very practical help is what's needed. But of course, we all t- always want to be turning to God's word as well. Uh, and actually, maybe using God's word uh, to help them lament. I know sometimes as Christians, I think we can feel that we have to be happy and praisey and thankful. And of course, we do want to be joyful and we do want to thank God for his many, many blessings. But actually developing a a structure of lament, uh, a practice of of repeated lament, uh, because, you know, some of the psalms of lament were meant to be sung annually. They weren't meant to be a kind of a one and done. Uh, Actually help people to turn to the Lord, to cry out to the Lord rather than just crying on their beds. But then actually maybe some reframing, if you like. Sometimes our pain can get so big that it it feels like the pain is the defining thing in our life. And we forget that God is above all that. He's bigger than that. He he is more defining than our pain. So helping people to lift their eyes uh, and to see the greatness and the provision of the Lord. Maybe moving away from some of the the quick kind of, oh, God's got it all under control kind of comments to some of the bigger and more complex narratives. The story of Joseph, as you see suffering over so many years in so many different ways to see that the evil, the wrongness that he had to endure and yet see that God's purposes are still flowing through that and helping people ultimately to see the relief, the perfection that comes at the end of all things. That's just a a tiny thing. Steve will no doubt have other things he can add to that. But it's taking that whole swathe from silence to to sitting and and being relational to serving uh, and then to opening God's word for hope and help. I I think the only thing um, that occurs to me to to, to add to that, uh, all of which I think is um, absolutely right, um, is, is is that sometimes I think we can um, we can get into the mindset that somebody who is struggling with with a long term mental health problem, um, it, we, we're wait we're constantly waiting for them to be better in inverted commas, um, uh, and as if um, 
only then can we work out how they're going to be a part of our church. Um, and I think to to actually to actually recognise that some people's struggles um, are going to be part of their life, you know, whether it is chronic pain or whether it's um, uh, a low-grade depression that just doesn't seem to lift, or whether it's a, a long-term struggle with an eating disorder. Um, and, it, and, and, the, and the question becomes, how will we help you to, to, to feel that you belong to this church family, that you have a place in it, and that you can even find areas of service um, as you are? Um, with this struggle, rather than only once you've got rid of it, um, which which clearly is just so hugely sort of discouraging and alienating um, for people whose problems are long term. Yeah, Helen and Steve, that was such good advice. Um, I know we're, we're needing to draw this to a close. Um, so many youth workers tune into this podcast. Um, parents do do as well. Um, I'd love for you just as we close this down uh, any specific um, guidance counsel uh, that you would love to to pass along uh, to youth workers those you know who are around teens all the time I know uh, youth ministry isn't just ministry to students it's ministry to parents as well um, so coming alongside parents but any specific counsel you can think of as we we draw this to a close Helen or Steve whoever wants to jump in a, a couple of things a couple of things occurred to me I, I think the, I mean, we, we've talked about uh, an increasing um, sort of crisis in, in people's mental health, and that certainly does apply um, to, uh, to teens and people into their early 20s. Um, that there really are very high rates um, um, of, of anxiety um, and, and, other, um, and other struggles with eating disorders and, and so on in that age group. I think the, I think the to, for youth workers to have confidence that some of the the key things that the gospel brings to us, uh, that Lord Jesus brings to us, in terms of our identity, in terms of of knowing um, uh, how we are loved, um, and that we we haven't got to prove ourselves to others um, because uh, we're accepted and, and loved by Christ. Um, has huge things to has a huge contribution to make to a generation who are um, who are facing all sorts of um, question marks um, in our society about identity um, and um, and significance. Um, so I, I just think the real confidence um, to speak into that uh, into that realm um, and and to anticipate um, some of the things that. Um, young people are going to be are going to be hearing and exposed to um, in in their engagement with social media. Mm -hmm. And I think just to loop us back to where we started um, a few moments ago, just to be confident that in Christ there are things that you can do, but also to be aware that you're not a specialist uh, and nor are you God, and therefore there'll be things that you can't do. And therefore saying to, to parents, to, to youth leaders, to whoever it is in the church, enjoy using your God-given gifts to the glory of Christ in the 
in the service of, of the people around you and your brothers and sisters, whatever age they may be, there is something you can do to help people persevere in this broken world. But you're not alone. You don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to know all the answers. There are others out there that can help. So just like don't be scared to get involved. Don't be scared to ask for help because there is always somebody that you can turn to, not least the Lord, and he is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good good place to end. Um, just to remind our listeners, the book is Mental Health in Your Church, a handbook for biblical care that's available through the Good Book Company. Helen and Steve, thank you both for taking the time to come on today, and thank you so much for your work in this specific area. The pleasure. Nice to be here. Thanks very much, without money oh come and feast without pay for the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar